Good morning, church family and friends. As we begin, I want to share with you um, one of the treasures that I had when I was growing up. I mean, this summarizes what I would do every day after school, what captured my playtime and my thoughts throughout my elementary age, and it was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. This is the original Megazord, not only the first season, but the one that I was given when I was my kid's age. So first of all, I know you think I'm already so cool. So like, come on, that's right. But this is what I would play with. I would love this. I treasured it. I, 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 and I thought that because I treasured it, other people would one day. I kept it with the sole purpose that thinking that it would be worth money someday that I could then sell and finish my retirement. Not, maybe not that much, but at least get something a little bit cooler, right? Well, the thing is, though, is that toys and things that we love, items that we um, treasure, tend to not look this good after this that long. They tend to actually look something like this. Now, this is another one of those Power Rangers that I've had since I was a child. But this one has no shield. It has um, no vest, no sword, no arms. And this, this isn't a good toy anymore. So what happens when our stuff that we love so much tends to break? We throw it out and we go buy something new, something more shiny, something more fun. This is part of what it means to be in a consumer and materialistic culture. We're told through the marketing, through the media, through everything, that if you just get this new thing, you will be more full of joy. You will be more satisfied. You will be flourishing if you just get this new and purchase this new thing. Now, it, this is just in the air that we breathe. It's in the water that we swim. That consumerism and materialism is pervasive in this moment in history. So much so that there are 300,000 items in the average American home, according to the LA Times. NPR says that the average size of the American home has nearly tripled in size in the last 50 years. And yet, according to New York Times Magazine, one out of every 10 Americans still rent off-site storage. This is the fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate market, and it makes up $34.5 billion industry. British research has found that the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys, and, but plays with just 12 daily. And Americans spend, according to the Wall Street Journal, $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods, or in other words, items and stuff that we don't need. I mean, this is the American dream, right? Prosper, get more money, get more stuff. But let me ask you this question. Is that really human flourishing? Is consumerism that neutral and materialism not that bad? This is what Paul says to his apprentice Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9-10. 
He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What is Paul saying? What is the way in which people are led astray? Some people think it's progressive theology. Some people have all these different ideas. But one of the things that Paul says here is the love of money, the craving for more stuff. The temptation of desiring to be rich and accumulating more for yourself. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we can look at our society and know that this is true. There's so many different things that are wrong with our society that have an undergirding of materialism, consumerism, and the love of money. We think of the topic of the day in racism. At the beginning of it, this was a group of people that were trying to figure out the cheapest labor possible so that they could make more money. And so what did they do? They enslaved other image bearers of God. They, they gave them less significance and they created systems and structures in a way of being that dehumanized these other people out of love for money. You see this playing out in the abortion industry different organizations vying for all millions and millions and millions of dollars people making decisions about what does this look like based on my pocketbook and what i can afford in this moment we see it changing how people what murder over what people are theft is around we see this influencing the prison industrial complex and the school to jail pipeline that has millions and millions and millions of dollar at stake the love of money, the love of treasure, is the roots of all kinds of evil. And that is our culture. That's where we are today. And into that, we ask the question, what is Jesus' vision for human flourishing? And how does it align with that? Or what does it have to say to this sin? See, we've been in the middle of a series called Flourish, life in the kingdom, which is Jesus' vision for human flourishing. And in this, we've seen a few different things. And I want to just speak generally about this sermon for a moment. See, many people come to this sermon and they say, oh, this is just Jesus giving us a standard in which we, he know we cannot live up to, showing us that we are in need of a savior. That's all he's doing. Well, I absolutely agree that he's doing that. To go to the Sermon on the Mount and look at this as an ethical standard of what human flourishing and life according to God looks like. I and you do not have the ability in our own selves to be able to accomplish this true flourishing. We just can't do it. So Jesus is absolutely doing that. And in the midst of it, he is still giving us an expectation and an invitation to live into. This isn't a, oh, standard we can't live up to, throw it out. No, the Sermon on the Mount is, this is what human flourishing looks like in his kingdom. And so with that in mind, 
we see and we come to the part of his sermon where he's talking about treasure, resources, money, finances. We're going to spend two weeks on this. The next time is going to be on uh, the side that talks about provision. Today, we're going to be looking at our heart posture around king, um, resources and treasure and money. And we're going to see that resources in God's kingdom reflects a heart changed by God's radical generosity in the gospel. And it affects our kind generosity towards others. So with that, before we open the scripture, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this vision, for this desire, these expectations that you've called us into. As we, the people listening to this in this moment of history, we swim in the waters that is the antithesis of this. We live in a day that encourages the opposite. I pray by your spirit, you open our hearts and eyes and our minds to what you have to say to us specifically on how we can live according to your ways. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 19 through 24. Jesus addresses the posture of our heart in relation to treasure. And he does it in three different segments. The first segment we're going to focus on in part one. And the last two segments we're going to focus in on part two after a conversation. So let's go ahead and read the text. Matthew 6 verse 19 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, verse 24. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this first section in verses 19 through 21, this is revealing and telling us that our treasure is about our hearts. It's about our hearts. We've seen this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Chris touched on it last week in addressing hypocrisy. It's not just actions being seen by other people. This is about the motivations of what we're looking to, what we're longing for. And so our treasure, our resources, does two things. It affects our hearts. It has the ability to change our hearts. And it reflects our hearts. It shows what's actually happening in our hearts. Now to treasure is to be human. We're made in the image of God. We're designed to offer worth and reflect goodness to assign worth to things. That's worship. We're designed that way. So Jesus is not saying here, stop treasuring things. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying, don't worry about money at all. Don't get a job. Don't pay off your bills. Don't do any of that stuff. That's not what's taking place here. He's recognizing that 
Treasure is part of our world. It's what does our heart posture have to say about how we do it. Just as it's foolish to invest in a business venture that is going to go down into the toilet immediately, what Jesus is saying is so it is like that when we lay up treasures on this earth. My toys will decay. And here's this reality. The things that are um, material in this world will one day decay, will be destroyed. The homes that we live in, if not cared for, will one day not be where they're at. The, the things that we value materially will one day not be treasurable, if I could say it that way. And so what is Jesus saying? Don't put your heart, don't put your treasure, don't put your value in stuff that passes. Instead, what does he say? Put, um, lay up for yourselves, verse 20, treasures in heaven. These are things that are eternal, that will last forever. Now, what does that mean? This is, this is relationally. This is understanding that there will come a day that Jesus comes to renew and restore all creation. You and I will be given new bodies that have placed our faith in Jesus. We will walk this created world renewed and restored without any sin, um, pain, sickness, or death. I mean, that is the hope that we long for. And, and there will be material stuff in that new heavens and new earth. Absolutely, just like the garden was meant to be. And yet... In this moment right now, we have a heart posture that looks to these things to satisfy us, to fulfill us, to give us worth and value. And what he's saying is, no, don't place your treasure in things that will decay. Place your treasure in things that will last. So let's make this practical for a moment. Without COVID, so the idea of hospitality with your home. Are you more concerned about what happens to the stuff in your house? Or are you more concerned about the people that you can be serving hospitably in your house? Are you more worried about um, if your stuff will get destroyed? Are you more concerned about the lives that are potentially on a path of destruction if you don't minister? That's a decision that has to be made. That's a choice where will you treasure? Are you valuing things that have eternal significance? Do you spend time thinking about what will eternity be like? Who will it be with? And how can I ensure that people that are in life right now, that things and times in life will have an eternal, everlasting impact? Or are you concerned with what is temporary? Where is your treasure? And what we treasure affects our hearts. Where our treasure goes, there goes our heart, and it reflects our heart. Where our heart goes, so goes our treasure. And so I want to pause for a few moments. I'm going to give you an opportunity to discuss this. I'm going to invite you to be brief, one or two sentences on the question so that we can ensure each person is able to dialogue. And then when the countdown on your screen comes to an end, we'll invite you back in and we'll continue the next two portions of this passage. One, two, one, two, one, two. Let me welcome you 
back together as we finish Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about how does we flourish as people in regards to our wealth, our resources, and our treasure. So if the first few verses of this passage talk about how our treasure reveals our heart, the next passage, um, verse 22 and 23, it says that our treasure reveals our generosity. That this is speaking about a generous heart. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now on the surface, this seems like it's a completely different uh, passage. How is this talking about money? But it's sandwiched in between two verses and it continues on to the next passage about provision. So it's not like Jesus is taking a radical side step. This is actually um, understood easier in the uh, original language. And so what Jesus is talking about here is the understanding of generosity. And this all hinges on an understanding of two words, on healthy and on evil. Healthy, the word literally means without folds. There's no crevice. This is the idea of undivided attention, singular devotion. Now, let's, we'll contrast that with the idea of evil or bad, as the ESV says. This is actually an, um, built on the understanding of Deuteronomy and Proverbs. Jesus is, is building on that understanding. And when evil eye is used in regards to money in Scripture, this is the understanding of stinginess. Let me show you this. Um, Matthew, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy 15, 9. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying the seventh year of the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother. And if you give him nothing, then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be sin in you. What does Jesus say here? If your eye is bad, or if your eye is evil, it will be full of darkness. Same understanding. Proverbs 23, verse 6 and 7 says this, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. It literally says in the Hebrew, who, uh, Do not eat the bread of a man who has an evil eye. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you, full of darkness. And then uh, Proverbs 28, 22. A man who, with an evil eye, in the ESV it says, a man who is stingy uh, hastens after wealth and does not um, know that want will come upon him. So if a healthy eye, which is the uh, um, affecting and reflecting of the heart, it's the pathway in the scripture, the healthy eye is kind and generous. The evil eye is stingy. It thinks only about what's in it for me. And so what Jesus is saying is don't have an evil eye. Don't be stingy. Be someone who is generous. 
recently, the Spirit brought to mind a situation where I had an evil eye, not an, a healthy eye. In our house, um, in our backyard, there was trees that were covering it that belonged to our neighbor. They were on their property. But the roots were coming into our yard, and so we were concerned about them getting into our foundation, our plumbing, and all those things. So we had a conversation with them, and we partnered together to make sure that these trees came down. Now, our neighbor didn't want these trees, and so saying, like, oh, I've never had a tree, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. We had massive amounts of wood, like huge piles of rounds that we ended up splitting, and now we have these massive piles of um, split wood needing to be seasoned but it's just massive at one point my neighbor who i partnered with on this asked me if he could have some of the the wood and that was already split and my stingy heart and my flesh was revealed because in me i was like no no no. do you know how hard i've had to work on that wood right there who are you to come in and try to take my wood no i'm gonna make you pay for it and in that moment, the Spirit came in and says, that's not reflecting the generosity of God in this moment. I was reflecting an evil eye in my heart, a stinginess, a hoarding, what's in it for me, not what's in good for them. And so I, in that time, I had to repent. That was sin. That was, an, that was evil. And I, I had to say, no, God, you've given me so much generously how can i use what's been given to me and be generous with it towards others and so even yesterday i was talking to my neighbor and i said hey do you need any wood and i started giving more and he's he's taking it as he needs it generously that was a, a sin that needed to be repented of in my heart and so when it comes to our treasure are you somebody who is generous in nature or are you stingy in nature do you think about how your resources how your budget how your money and your stuff can be used for the benefit of other people this is laying for yourself treasures in heaven do you have money or a budget um, line item that talks about how you can bless other people that are in need in your missional community or in your missional context? Do you have money set aside for the giving, for the continuation of the gospel being spread through Soma Federal Way? Are you generous with what you have for the sake of other people? Do you have a healthy eye, a generous kind life? Or do you have a stingy, evil eye that reveals a heart that is in need of the gospel? And all of this leads to the third point. If our treasure reveals our heart, if our treasure is to reveal our generosity, thirdly, our treasure ultimately reveals our worship. It reveals our God. What does it say in verse 24? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Frankly said, verse the end of it, you cannot serve God and money. 
Now this money is the literal word mammon. This is the personification of worship of money. It was a, it was a god in the Chaldean and the Syriacs um, around what's going on in Jesus' time. This is the personification of the picture of who it is we worship. Do you worship your money and your treasures or do you worship the God who is generous for you? And throughout this passage, there's been opposites been laid out. There's heaven and then there's the, the temporal. There's light and there's darkness. And in this one, there's heaven versus mammon and honey. Money, excuse me. Do you tend to worship your resources or do you worship the one who gave you those resources? If we're honest, every single one of us at some point in our life has bought into the, the story that getting more stuff will make you more full of joy. We've all bought into the lie that accumulating is better than generosity. We've all sinned and fallen short in this area. You and I are in need of help for this. This is a picture of an ethic that comes out beyond us. This is a picture that Jesus has a standard that you and I cannot live up to fully. And yet, this also points us to the very work that Jesus did on our behalf. Jesus himself, who was rich, became poor by um, being born into a poor family. Scripture says that he had nowhere to lay his head as he wandered. While he could have just sat there and enjoyed the riches and the treasures of heaven, he laid those down and took on the form of a slave, even death on the cross, the Philippians 2 says. And not just that, he went to the cross, paying the penalty for your and my sin. And three days later, after his physical, brutal, bloody death, he rose again victorious, And on the cross, what did he do? He took his holiness, he took his riches and our poorness in our sin and he traded places. He became sin so that you and I could become rich in the gospel. He became the very thing that is hated by God so that you and I could be truly united with him, abiding with him and loved by him. And when he rose, he sent his spirit after he ascended to heaven, so that you and I could be be empowered to live in the ways of flourishing laid out in the Sermon on the Mount, in the scriptures themselves. And so we now need the Spirit, are dependent upon the Spirit, to actually live kind, generous lives. If you think that living generously will make you right before God, it will not. Only Jesus' life, death, and resurrection will do that. If you think that accumulating treasures, getting more stuff, buying that new product will satisfy you, it will not. If you think protecting your things instead of using them for the sake of others will make you feel better, it will not. Those lead to death. But in Christ, we who have the Spirit can now live according to His ways. We can accept the invitation into a new flourishing life, which is one of generosity, of kindness, of giving towards others. 
And that's what it means to worship God. That's what it means to delight in God instead of despise God. That's what it means to be devoted to Jesus and not devoted to our pocketbook. And as this plays out, we have to ask the question, who gets to make the decision on how I spend my money, use my resources? Do I And the story that I live to according to culture, or does Jesus, is he the one that gets to determine that? Am I in community submitting to one another my needs, but also what I have available so that it can be utilized by a community? By our love in our missional communities as a church family, the world will see that we're his disciples when we live this generous life. The church in Acts got this. They laid down their life. They laid down their stuff at the apostles' feet so it could be distributed. This is the call of the gospel is to not place our worship, our treasure, our hearts in our stuff, but in the one who provides so that we can have a life that is flourishing. So to those that do not yet believe, the call in this is not just to live generously, although it is better to give than to receive as Jesus says elsewhere. The call is that you will realize that you've been given new life only in placing your faith in Jesus, that his um, death on the cross covers your sins and he's purchased a new reality for you and you're invited into a new kingdom. And the call is to place your faith in his life, death, resurrection, that he is your Lord and Savior. For those of us that have already done that, This is an invitation for the Spirit to reveal in our hearts where we are stingy, where we are not devoted primarily to God, but devoted to our stuff, where our heart is treasuring our resources rather than the one who gave us them in the first place. And as we do that, as we listen and the Spirit gently, kindly disciplines us, we have an opportunity to repent of that, to turn away from worshiping that stuff and turning to the God who loves us, who gives us more than we could ask or imagine, as it says in Ephesians. And that's when we get a flourishing life, when we're generous, when we're kind, when we're giving. So church family, think this week, are you devoted to God in your resources or are you stingy and showing that you're devoted to mammon and in the cross you can not only be forgiven of those sins you can be empowered to live in the life that Jesus has called in this sermon and in this world let me pray father I pray for my friends who have not yet placed their faith in you, Jesus. May they come to see that you who were rich became poor on their behalf so that you, they could be rich in you. That you're not going to necessarily shower them with earthly wealth, but you're going to give them all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, as it says in Ephesians 1. That there is a new flourishing life that they're invited into, that their heart was designed to walk into. And that by saying that they're, they're a sinner, that they place their faith in Jesus' death on the cross and forgiveness of their sin, and that Jesus, you rose again victorious over sin, Satan, and death, that can be a reality for them. I also pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. May we realize our dependence and need for you, Holy Spirit, 
to walk in this way, to be radically generous. Spirit, I pray that you reveal in us where we're using our resources, where we're using our treasure that's not in line with what you have for us, that we may be a generous, kind people radically orienting our life of flourishing into your story and the invitation that you've given us here in this passage. Thank you that you were rich, you became poor. Thank you that we are now rich in God, as your scripture says, and that we can now walk out of that in generosity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.